Well, it is going to be quite a week. You know, there's a face award giving to, to the, the little uh, choreo, uh, the dancers. I don't know what you call them. The dancers, the friends uh, each week. Uh, Katie Crosby is going to be tough to beat, right? I mean, that was, some, that was some face, man. That was not just dancing here. That was here. That was a lot. I love it. Well, hey, uh, if you have a life journal, grab, grab it right now. Um, uh, if you want to take some notes today, what we're doing, if you're new, uh, you want to grab one of these, they're just right on the back as you're leaving in the lobby. There's a little table of them, but it's a great way to keep notes of the series we're doing this summer. Uh, also, uh, the ability to do uh, a devotion each week that kind of preps you for what we're going to uh, talk about on Sunday. And so uh, at, in the bulletin, you'll see the passage that leads us into next week that you can do a, a devotion on. Uh, keep lo- uh, notes in your uh, life group, but grab one of those on your way out. If you don't have one, we encourage you to, to use that. But uh, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. And if you don't own a Bible, make sure to take this Bible home with you. So we, we want you to have your own Bible. Uh, if you, you can open it up on your phone or a, uh, uh, tablet or whatever you have. Uh, but, but this is, as everyone's been sharing, this is a big week. This is our our Vacation Bible School Week. So that's what VBS stands for, our Vacation Bible School. As long as I've been coming here over 30 years, we've been, we've been doing a Vacation Bible School, but it's, it's different. It's, it's significantly different than what we do now. It makes it, I think, so special right now. As you can see, we give two Sundays to it. We give uh, really the whole church to it. So uh, when, when it, it used to be done, for the most part, it was kind of a kid's thing. Uh, the kid's ministry did it, and it was kind of uh, uh, done that way. But it has become something that the, it really it envelops the whole church, and I, and I think that's what makes it so special. Just to help you understand a little bit of the volume of things that are happening this week, uh, uh, this is this is all hands on deck. So it is both campuses. It is two campuses, our Huntington Beach campus, our Fountain Valley campus. Together, there are 552 kids ages from 2 to 12. So think about that. That's interesting. 257 different volunteers that are helping out here or have been helping out. I've seen uh, volunteers as young as seven years old. Uh, little Callie Hall has been racing up and down all over the place the past week, making sure everything is perfect for her friends when they show up. Uh, next week, all the way to uh, uh, volunteers as old as 85 that have been serving and, and making all the preparations for this. And, and so it looks like, okay, uh, uh, we're about 7 to 85. Really, no, th- look at, put those two numbers together, and let me stretch it a little further for you. If you think of, we've got kids from 2 all the way to people that are 85. It's actually even bigger than that. Uh, I was, we were uh, thinking about the fact that uh, uh, Monica Weed is a, 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 one of our, our moms here. Uh, she'll drop off her daughter, Avery. She is expecting twins. And so she'll stand in the back. You'll, you'll notice this. There's other moms who will do this as well that are pregnant. There will be babies in the womb doing this. Like, so <laughs> it starts before birth even happens. And it goes all the way. Our very first service, we have a, a guy in our, ch- our church who's 100 years old. Uh, and this is no normal 100-year-old guy. He just on his 100th birthday did 27 push I don't know how many of you can do 27 push-ups, but he did it. He's got a prayer card, and he's praying. So we've got from pre-born all the way to 100 years old, all the way through, and everyone in between. It is, it is one of those things that makes, I think, this church special, is there's this, this intergenerational feel uh, of everyone sharing in together to make it special. Uh, but you see this different thing. 32 different life groups um, from our two campuses have been helping out in all kinds of ways to serve. Uh, 
I appreciate so much, as Amy said, the generosity of our church, 10,000 extra dollars in donations. Uh, you guys give, the Beach Point is such a generous church uh, in so many ways that we can do an event like this as you give every Sunday or every week as you, as you do that. But on top of that, when we put out this, just the, the ask of, can you bring hot dogs or Capri Suns or whatever it is, all those things add up when you have that many kids, $10,000 in extra donations. We, we already have 2,750 Capri Suns ready to go. We are going to hydrate and be, be good to go. So, uh, and all the Pringle tubes you guys brought so they can make colitis. I mean, you just think of all these things that everyone has been doing over these weeks just to kind of prep for this. Uh, uh, three original songs. That was one of them. Uh, so everyone that comes gets a, uh, there's a CD that they will receive, a physical CD. Uh, there are six songs, uh, 26 minutes that are going to play on loop in your minivan for the next year, Okay. Uh, which with only three original songs means only about 40 hours of extra therapy that you're going to need to kind of recover from listening to 26 minutes over and over again for the, the next year. Uh, it's on Spotify. I think it might be on Apple Music too. Um, but there's just a lot of different ways that you can enjoy uh, the incredible stuff. But is it, I mean, think about that song. That, what an incredible song. Those guys, uh, our team wrote that and, and produced that and did put all that together. There's just so much great work that goes uh, and, and I love this one uh, stat. And Amy has reminded us that, uh, at least for the, the pastoral staff, we have eight opportunities to wear this shirt uh, in, in, a, in a week. So uh, I don't know. This shirt's going to be a little ripe by the end of the week. Um, she, she goes, really? You're not going to wash your shirt all week? I'm like, Amy, I'm going to wash my shirt. Okay, it's, it's a joke. Uh, but I love this. Uh, what I love about this week with the Vacation Bible School week is what it, what it shows, I think, for us, what I hope you will see is what a church looks like when it's fully engaged. Uh, we're encouraging you, especially in this time of construction when things are a little chaotic, be fully engaged. Uh, w- w- there's something really fun and powerful when, when we're all here and we're together and the energy that's in the room singing together. Just say, I'm about 10 rows back, just listening to everyone sing. I'm like, wow, you could not, I couldn't experience this. It might be better quality-wise listening to the professionals do it on, on, my, uh, uh, on my device, but it's not, it's not more special than to be in the room hearing that with you together. Uh, there's something special about us being all together. Uh, there's something special about seeing the way that people in life groups, even life groups that are taking the summer off, are finding a way to serve together and work together and kind of dream together how they can make an impact. That Just how many people are serving and what it takes to do this. That this is not led by professionals. That this is really everyone finding a way to serve and again, just, the, just w- what it looks like when we are generous. Time, talent, and treasures. Uh, you give so generously uh, week after week. This allows us to, to dream and to, to follow God in, in very exciting ways. Stay engaged. Uh, our church is so great when that happens. Uh, and so the theme, discover the wonder. Let's think about this theme a little bit. Uh, it, it's quite powerful when you begin to think about it because there is something about God that we know that God is full of wonder that there's something about who he is that is just wonderful to see, that his knowledge is beyond words, that his love is for us. It is immeasurable. Uh, Try to figure out how high and wide and deep and long his love for you. You can try to get your head around it, but your head will never fully be able to get around it. And when you see like his, his knowledge and his love and his presence, and you feel this presence everywhere you go, you sense that he is with us. There's something very powerful. It changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you treat people. It, it changes even in the sense the, the very purpose of your life. 
And so there's a memory verse that we're going to challenge our kids with. I'd encourage you to, to memorize it as well. It'll be so helpful for you in your life. It's a way for you to discover the, the wonder of God. Because think about it. It's easy to discover the wonder of God, to see the wonder of God when everything is working, right? Everything's uh, sunny outside and circumstances are working in life and everyone's happy. You see it everywhere. The blessings are just everywhere. But what about when it's the opposite? What about when, when it feels in your life, it's cloudy, it's stormy, the wind and the waves are picking up all around you, uh, when circumstances aren't, aren't showing you that God knows you and loves you and, and, and is with you? Uh, what do you do then? And I love this verse, Isaiah 41.10, is a verse we're inviting our kids to memorize, and I encourage you as well. Look at this verse. It says this, so do not fear. Here's a moment where God's people were in trouble, and a prophet speaks to the people and says, so do not fear. Why? Gives five reasons. Notice these five reasons. Number one, I am with you. He says, do not be dismayed. Why? Because I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't you love that God doesn't just say to us in times of trouble, just don't be afraid. It, it's like, what, what, I, I never, I coached baseball for a long time in, in youth baseball. And whenever I take a kid, I always wanted to let kids experience, you know, get a chance to pitch and mom and dad bring the video camera, invite grandma and things. But when a kid got in trouble, they would scream from the stands, just throw strikes as if a 10-year-old was trying to nibble around the corners and be, you know, of course that he's trying to throw strikes. He's trying his best. Don't, that's the last thing. But don't you love this? Instead? God doesn't just yell, just throw strikes. He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. And I am your God and I will help you and I will strengthen you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so what we know is this, if we can teach our kids uh, these, this beautiful idea to, to discover the wonder, even when things are tough, that it will radically change them. So uh, it, as Amy said, it, it requires this, that they would know this, that God knows them, that he loves them, and that he's with them. It requires two hands. Okay, ready? Do it with me. Re- you got it now? You've done it, seen it twice? Here we go. Spirit fingers. Okay, ready? That God knows us, he loves us, and he's with us. It, Amy's dead on. If you, could, if you could go beyond it being here to embracing this with your soul, if you really believe this, it doesn't matter what those things are around you. You won't be afraid because you will know God is with me and he loves me so he will strengthen me and he will uphold me and he knows me so he, 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 will, he will remind me that, that I'm your God. You're mine and I'm yours. These are things that we want to embrace. And so this morning we want to look at, I think, as we see, this, this is one of those ideas that I, I think everything changes when this happens. And so uh, maybe one of the best stories that we could possibly look at, that when someone discovered the wonder of God, how everything changes the story of Saul of Tarsus. Now, let me help you uh, see one important thing. Saul of Tarsus is the same person as the Apostle Paul. They are, it, it, it's the same guy, two names. So when uh, he is dealing with a Jewish audience, they know him as Saul, of Tar- Saul from Tarsus. But when he's dealing with a Roman audience, as we read a lot of times in the Bible where he's writing to a, a Roman a church in a Roman empire, he goes by his Roman name, Paul. Saul and Paul, same guy, 
There's a lot of Saul's in the Bible, but Saul of Tarsus is the Apostle Paul. So in case I skip back and forth as where my, my words start getting real fast, you'll know I'm talking about the same person. Uh, so let's look together at this great story, Acts chapter 9. Let's read this together, starting at verse 1. And, and uh, uh, just to help you understand some context, in this point, this is early in the church's history. So Jesus is risen. Uh, he has established his church, and they are beginning to spread out. They're beginning to reach people, and the church is growing rapidly. It, it is on fire. There is a, an incredible movement of God. But not everyone is excited about this movement of God. And one of the people who's not excited about this is this man, Saul of Tarsus. He sees this as a threat to his faith, to his religion. He sees it as his mission to exterminate what he believes is a great heresy, this group of people proclaiming a dead Messiah. Uh, he is going to take care of this. So we start in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, that meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now let's stop there for a second. So one of the things that we see in Saul is that he's an incredibly zealous person. We know this a little bit of his history. Uh, he was an emerging Jewish leader. He was well-taught, well-versed. He, he understood things, but he was passionate for the ways of God. And, he, and when he uh, heard what he believed to be a heresy, he made it his mission to stomp this thing out. And so you start to see uh, a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts, you see that there is this pressure being put on the church. We see this first martyr, uh, Stephen. Uh, and as Stephen is uh, killed for his faith because he proclaims that Jesus is the, the answer to God's story, the answer for God's people. Uh, uh, they, they stone him to death. And it says that this man, Saul of Tarsus, was standing there giving his approval. And then in the next chapters, we start to see this kind of, this persecution break out. So what happened was many of the people began to scatter outside of Jerusalem. And many went all the way up, about 140 miles up to this uh, town called Damascus. Now it was a sizable town, a little easier to hide, a little easier for this new community to be uh, established together. But as they, they found what they thought would be a peaceful place there, word got to Saul that this is where many of them were, were uh, seeking out refuge. And so he asked for letters, uh, he asked for permission, approval, authority to be able to travel all the way there, find those people, find those Christians, rip them away from their families, take them down to Jerusalem to stand trial and perhaps execution. And so this is what, what we begin to see. And so one of the things that we begin to see, uh, listen to his own description of how this happens. Uh, later in Acts 26, he's describing this when he's on trial. He describes really this zeal, this passion that he has. He says this, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Everything in my power, I was going to do it to take down this name. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. 
This is kind of a powerful sense for you to see. I mean, think about how, what he's doing. He is, he is willing to travel this whole journey to take these people, to rip them away from their families. This is, this is significant stuff. And so to travel this journey, he would have, uh, to stay probably ceremonial clean, he would have had a group of people that were going to help uh, arrest these people. But to stay ceremonial clean, he would have probably kept his distance from them. So for 140 miles, he's going to travel all that way by himself. Uh, they'll be with him, the entourage with him, but he'll be walking in isolation. And so there's something that's going to have to happen in that time. He's going to be dealing with kind of uh, uh, two thoughts. One, this passion to accomplish his mission. And yet in the midst of it, realizing that there's something different about these people. And you see it in the first, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. You see the way, here are these people who forgive their enemies, who forgive the very people who are doing this, this thing against them, who are arresting them, who are killing them. There, there's something different about them. And even in this death of Stephen, it's on his mind this whole way as he walks. But one of the things that becomes very interesting as we see in the, the life of, of of uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus is this, is that when you miss the wonder of God, you go your own way. You go your own way. Now, I don't know what it is uh, for us. It may not be like for Saul. It may not be a sense of of, uh, religion or tradition that is keeping you from seeing the thing. I, I mean, the wonder of God was all around him. God was doing something. People everywhere around him were coming into life and faith in Jesus Christ because of God was, was doing his work. But he refused to embrace it. He refused to believe it. And he was missing it and going his own way. And while it might not be tradition, it might not be religion for us, it can simply be busyness, right? It can be the busyness of our lives where you think, uh, where, where, uh, think about this, you can easily miss the wonder of God because of how, how stressed, how busy, how rushed we feel. You're thinking, gosh, miss the wonder of God. I, I can't even remember what school I dropped my daughter off at for soccer practice. I'm just, I'm driving aimlessly around the city trying to remember where she's at. It can be your preoccupation with your things going on in your life. You know, where I look at this, uh, this group here and look everyone here in this group for the most part, I think it, we would say like what we're, we're, we're trying to achieve, right? We're trying to grow. We're trying to go up to the right with our lives. We're trying to take the next step, whatever it is. And that requires a ton of energy, a, ch- a ton of focus. And we are giving ourselves to our agendas and our purposes and our missions and they may not seem like bad or evil things. They may not be bad or evil things, but simply they are distracting us from the agenda of God, the kingdom of God, the, the, the call of God on our life. You think of all the voices in your world, all the voices in your life pressing on you, forming you, shaping you to, to think a way and to behave a way and to be a certain kind of person. And, and with all these voices the voice of God gets crowded out and you miss, you miss the wonder of God all around you. And Saul of Tarsus had missed it. He was going his own way. And and sometimes when we find ourselves in that situation where we're going our own way and we're missing everything, we need the same thing to happen to us that happens to him. We just need God to to knock us off our donkey. And that's what he does. So uh, notice what happens next in the, in the story. We read this. Uh, He says, as I neared Damascus 
on, on his journey, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Now it's interesting when you stop and look at this, that Saul is confronted by a light, by a voice. But notice how the voice, uh, the way the voice speaks. When the voice speaks to him, the voice identifies, uh, he, he realizes the voice is speaking to him that, uh, of who it is that he's persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? The voice does not say, why are you persecuting them? The voice says, why are you persecuting me? It's kind of a powerful image for, for us in the church to see that, that the way that Christ sees us, he sees us in him. And that when we are persecuted, he is persecuted. That our life is enfolded in his life. And Saul's response is, Lord, who are you? Now, that's not like he saw Jesus immediately and was giving his life over. It was simply a a response of respect. He knew someone important was speaking to him. Whether it was God or an angel, the response of, Lord, who are you? It was just simply trying to show some respect to this voice. All he knows is that he's in trouble And think about what it must have been like for Saul to hear the next words, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You've just spent your your best energy trying to serve God, trying to defeat this man, Jesus, and now Jesus has his moment to get you back. All the things that had happened in his life, all the things that had happened recently, all these memories of of what has taken place, and you imagine what he must be thinking. He's thinking all the trouble he's caused Jesus, all the pain he's brought to, to his followers. And now Jesus has him pinned on the ground. And that you would think this is, it's gotta be the most terrifying thing that could probably ever happen to anyone. And yet, the way that he describes it is an act of mercy. That God, in this moment, was reaching out to him in mercy. In fact, he talks about that. He calls it, uh, uh, describes it later this way. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, uh, he described it this way. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Years later, he's able to look back on that moment and say, in that moment, God displayed in me how he knows us and loves us and is with us, that in the moment where I deserved to be banished, to be punished, instead what God put on display was his immense love, his immense patience. And what he's saying to a, a room like this is, if he would save me, he will save you. There's no one in this room who's done more to distance yourself from God than what I have done. In that moment, I was shown mercy. 
I tried to think back to the moment in my life where I felt like that, where I was shown mercy. Can you, can you think back to, that, to a time? Can you think back to a season where you just realized in some unique way how special it was that God, in the midst of seven billion people, God was singling you out and showing you that he knows you, he loves you, that he's with you, and he was calling to you to come to him, that his desire for you was kindness and mercy. It was eternal life. That what he wanted more than anything was for you to know him now and forever. Does the time stick out to you? Where do you remember that? Is, is maybe now that time? Where maybe you just sense there in some ways you feel this, this odd sense of being drawn to God in some unique way. The first time I heard this, I was sitting just a few rows up here uh, in the service. And when I heard these words for the first time, this good news, for the first time, I was amazed by it. I'd never heard such things. And, and what it began to show me is this, is that here's the second thing, that God doesn't want anyone to miss the wonder of the gospel. God doesn't want anyone to miss the wonder of the gospel. What happened in that moment, what was happening in that moment was God was putting on display his amazing grace, his amazing mercy, that what he desires for you and for me and for all of us is that we would know him, that we would be in relationship with him now and forever. And it's a, it's a, an amazing moment. Now, what happens in the story is interesting because in the next part of the story, the, 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 the characters shift a little bit and the focus comes on this, this man, Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias other than this, this one story and then uh, when the story is recounted later by Paul. But what we see in Ananias is just this beautiful servant of God, this incredible servant of God. And so I want you to try to think about this. Try to think about this story. Uh, and, and as you maybe try to place yourself, try to imagine it, I want you to try to listen to this, this last part of the story as if you were Ananias and you were hearing the things that Ananias is being asked. And so in verse 10, it says that in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority for the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went. He went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Now, I try to imagine myself being Ananias, and I love Ananias because it seems like he's got like this great spirit. I mean, Jesus, he picks him out of all the disciples in in this place. He he picks uh, Ananias out as someone I can count on. Have you ever thought, I would love to hear God's voice like so clearly speak to me without, a, without, without a, a doubt. Like I just knew he was calling to me and I would just be ready to say, yes, Lord, whatever you have for me. Now imagine you're Ananias and that moment comes and the Lord speaks and says to you, hey, I need you. Yes, Lord, I've waited for this. Whatever you need, Lord, great. Go to this house. He gives him the address. You're going to meet a man there. His name's Saul. He's from Tarsus. I need you to pray over him so he can regain his sight. I'll tell you what to do. Now, how would you respond? Now, think about this. Now, here's what Ananias knows. In fact, he's, he's convinced that he knows something that Jesus doesn't know, doesn't he? So he says, uh, Jesus, about that. Before I go, I should probably let you in on this guy, Saul of Tarsus. So he's been causing a lot of chaos for your people all up and down the region. Now he's come here, and he's come here to arrest me and us, and probably to kill me. So I just want to make sure you know the right Saul of Tarsus in the right house you're sending me to. And what's Jesus' next words to him? Go. Go. I love two things that you see in Ananias here. After that, you see two things. The next thing we see about Ananias is what? He went. He went. And he goes into the room and he places his hands on Saul. Here's the man who's come to rip him away from his family, to kill him. But the first words you hear out of Ananias' mouth are what? Brother Saul. The man who's come to murder me, he now treats as a brother. And he places his hands on him and he prays for him and his sight is restored and the spirit rushes into him. And he's filled with the spirit and, his, and scales fall off his eyes. They take him, he's baptized. And they begin to give Paul some food and drink so he can regain his strength. And, and I, I just sit there, I was thinking as I was reading through this, what was that meal like? What did they talk about? What do you talk about to your enemy who's come to hunt you down? How incredible that must have been. But there's this transformation that you see that's been happening in Saul of Tarsus in the story. He, he wanted to enter into Damascus. He was coming in with this, 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 this rage of fury. But he, we find him being led like a helpless child into, into the city. But when they pray over him, his sight is restored. He was once blind. He now is seen. He's filled with the Spirit. He's now brothers with the, uh, uh, the brothers and sisters that he's come to hunt down. But if you thought the transformation ended there, it doesn't. Notice the next verse that, it, it, that happens. It says that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And, haven't, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more pow- powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The transformation continues 
that he, the one who's come to hunt down the people proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, he is now proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And everyone's scratching their heads saying, wait a second, this is not the same guy. This guy was supposed to be come and take these, get rid of these guys. But now he's the one who's standing up with them and standing up for them and he's proclaiming this truth. Don't you see, friends, see the whole story of God. See how Jesus fits into the story of God. Don't you see this? And they're baffled by the understanding of the whole thing. In fact, scholars look back on this moment and this conversion as one of the most powerful pieces of reason for our faith. Something happened to Saul of Tarsus. The greatest enemy of Christianity became its greatest leader. Most of your New Testament, half of your Bible is written by this man who wanted to exterminate Christians. He becomes our greatest leader. He writes the New Testament and teaches. If you were here two weeks ago, we looked at a passage in 1 Corinthians all about love. This is the guy that wrote it. About love and how love will change the world. The same guy who in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, was breathing out murderous threats. He was breathing out murderous threats. He was saying, I stood by, nothing would stop me. I stood by and watched them die who is then saying, without love, it's useless, it's futile, it doesn't work, and love is patient and kind. And he goes on and on, he has this beautiful thing, love never fails. And see, this is the big idea I want you to see today, but more than today, I want you to see for this week, is this, is that when you discover the wonder of God, it changes everything. It changes everything. And we look at this man and this conversion, this transformation, and scholars look and say, there, something happened to this guy. And the reason, the only explanation, the best explanation we have is his own explanation. What changed him was he encountered the risen Jesus. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive and there is life in his name. He is the name in which we find eternal life in. He is alive, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he is with you. And so I want to invite you to two things uh, as we close our, our, our service up. Number one is this. Have you discovered the wonder of God? Have you discovered the wonder of God? I, again, I, I hope you hear his words, Paul's words, when he says this. If God would show me mercy, he will show you mercy. If you have not turned to him, he says, turn to him. Uh, later, he's recounting this encounter with, uh, with Ananias. And Ananias called to him, he says, and he says, he said, turn to Jesus. He says, and he will wash away your sins. He says, come, be baptized. He'll wash away your sins. He says, call upon his name. And this morning, I want to ask you, have you called upon his name? If you will call upon his name, the scales will fall off your eyes. Your sins will be washed away. His spirit will flood into your life and you will be transformed. Some of you uh, uh, don't know what black and white is other than a filter on Instagram, but uh, if you're my age or older, uh, TV was black and white. Some of you remember this. And you'll remember when uh, things became, started to become color. And I remember I'd watch some shows in black and white, some shows in color. And then some of the shows that I, I really, uh, like these old classics, I remember The Wizard of Oz. 
uh, in black and white, and then they transformed it into color. And it was like every color kind of popped in a way that was just, it was powerful. The, the, the fun and, and happy characters seemed to be more fun and, and happy, and the scarier characters were even scarier once you could kind of see what color they were. But there was something to the adding of color, but, but uh, in the same way, when you call upon his name, it's like your black and white world goes to color. And you will see things, you will discover the wonder of God in ways you have never seen before, that he knows you, that he loves you, that he is with you. One last thing I want you to encourage you with is this. Would, are you ready to help others discover the wonder of God? I, I just want to encourage us. I, when I look at this story about Ananias, I just pray, oh Lord, would you fill us in this church with, the, with that same spirit that Ananias had? That when you say go, the next thing people say about us is they went. And when they went, they went in love. Would you go when God calls you to go? And would you go in love? Would you love this world in the way? Even your, your most ferocious enemy, would you love him in the way that you see Ananias? I, we need you this week. You know, as, as you heard, next Sunday is going to be a little different, and there's going to be a lot of guests here. There's going to be a lot of new people here, which some of you think, I'm going to stay away from next week because it will be a little easier on me. I want to I beg you, be here. 5 o'clock, 9.45, 11.15, be at one of those services because I need those people to experience in you this, this, this servant heart of Ananias. I need you to be ready for God to say, hey, go. And through your friendliness and through your care and through your flexibility of all the things going on that they see there's something different about these people. And so I want to begin with an uh, with opportunity for that now. And so let me invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to do one thing and then we're going to sing one last song. Uh, and so here's the first thing. And so all the introverts in the room, I'm going to make you very nervous for a second. I'm an introvert, so I, I feel your pain. But if Ananias could go and pray with the person that was going to murder him, you can, you can do this, okay? So here's what we need. We cannot do this just because of talent and ability and hard work. This, we, we need the power of God uh, with us. We want, we want to usher in. We want to ask God, God, we don't want to do this apart from you. And so I, we need to pray. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to ask you if you'd be willing to huddle up with some people around you. And I'm going to give you about 90 seconds. You only have to survive 90 seconds, okay? But I want you to turn some people around you and you can pray. Some of you that are bold, you can pray out loud if you want. You can pray quietly. Introduce yourself to those around you. But let's take 90 seconds. We're going to pray together for this week at Vacation Bible School. And our kids, turn and meet some people and go.
And God, we just pray. We join in these, these prayers and the hundreds of other prayers that are going on. We know that there are, uh, we are coming together as one church across two campuses, all our ages, uh, to say we just need you. Uh, we need, we, we uh, pray for your blessing, uh, not just of, of things that we, we would always ask, protection and fun, and, uh, but we, we pray that this, this truth, uh, the, the, how wonderful you are, uh, would sink in deep to the hearts of our kids, our families, our whole church. Lord, we see the wonder of you uh, when things are, are well. Uh, but sometimes we miss it when things are tough. And so may we see this week and, and, and may you ingrain in us this week that even when things make us afraid, we do not have to be afraid for you are with us. You know us, you love us, you are with us, and we take comfort in that. And so we pray your blessing over this, this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this last song as an anthem of our faith.